Since Tony's gone, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to get a little feedback from you, get a little input. We'll take a little survey this morning. And so I'm going to ask you some questions, just ask you to raise your hand if, if that's true for you. So if you came in this morning and you saw our sign out by the road, would you raise your hand? Oh, okay. People don't see the sign. All right. Uh, if you came in this morning and someone greeted you at the door, raise your hand. Okay, better, better, good. If you came in this morning and got a cup of coffee, raise your hand. You can't be holding a cup of coffee and not say you didn't get one. It, now, if you dropped your kids off in nursery or for class, raise your hand. Now, if you had a problem with the check-in process, keep your hand up. Oh, okay, all right, one. Uh, if you find these seats comfortable, raise your hand. Good, okay, like the seats. If you can see and hear from where you're seated, raise your hand. Okay, all right. Um, if you got a bulletin this morning, raise your hand. Keep it up if you found it to be easy to read and informative. Okay, good, good. So I'm going to ask you another question this morning. Uh, don't raise your hand on this one. In fact, don't answer out loud, but I want you to answer this question for yourself. Why are you here? Why did you come to church? I hope it wasn't for the coffee. I hope it wasn't because of the greeting or the sign or the bulletin or the check-in process. We actually spend time and money on those things, but they're trivial compared to what the Bible teaches church is about, what it should look like. So why are you here? Why are we here? As background, to answer that question, uh, uh, before we get to our text this morning, I want to take you back, if you were here, two weeks ago, we were continuing our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. We got to 1 Corinthians 10, and in verse 31, Paul says that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. Whether you're eating or drinking, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. We learned that, man was cre that God created man to glorify himself. That our main purpose in this world is to glorify God. Tony quoted John Piper, who defines the glory of God as the public display of the infinite beauty and worth of God. See, God's glory is the radiance of his holiness. The words of Isaiah 6.3, these famous words that you know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with what? His glory. God's glory is the radiance of of his holiness. And the highest purpose that we as believers can have is to be absorbed in who God is and to give him glory. Now, let's get this straight. God is intrinsically and inherently glorious. We can't add to his glory. He doesn't need us to be glorified. 
The whole earth is filled with his glory. He is glorious. But we are called to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. Psalm 29.2. Let me reemphasize that because it's a linchpin for what we're going to talk about this morning. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul said, whatever you do, whether you're eating or drinking. So in the common everyday things like eating and drinking, we are to glorify God. How much more so when we're here in church are we then to glorify God? So why are we here? To ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, to worship him. Lance read from Revelation 4 this morning. And I want to reread a portion of that passage with you. Revelation 4, beginning in verse 8. I love this. I love this picture. The four living creatures do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever. And they will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. That's what church will be to the glory of God. That's the picture of the church that we have. But what does that look like here, now, for us, here this morning and on this earth, before we get to eternity with him? Well, as always, to find the answer to that, we turn to the Word of God. And we'll turn now to our text this morning, which is Acts chapter 2. What better place to start to understand what the church should be than the start of the church, as described to us in Acts chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 41 through 47. Would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version, which says, So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had received and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you we have your word to instruct us. We thank you for these words that instruct us on the church and what you would have us do to give you glory and to worship you this morning. I pray that your spirit would just fill this place. Help us to understand what you have us have for us this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So let me give you a little context to uh, these verses that we just read. This is the end of the chapter, chapter 2. But let me tell you what's happening. And this is, this is just a day in the church here that we have in Acts chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, we see that when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered together in one place. So let's start with Pentecost. Pentecost was also known as the Harvest Festival or the Festival of Weeks. Pentecost actually means 50th day. Right? We have the Pentagon, five sides. Pentecost meant 50th day because it took place 50 days after Passover. Now, what had happened around Passover? Jesus was crucified around Passover. He was risen around Passover. And after he rose, he was on this earth for 40 days before he ascended into heaven. And then on the 50th day, on the day of Pentecost, they were all gathered together. Who's the all? Without going too far into this, just look up, glance up at uh, chapter 1, verse 15. 15 says, At this time Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons were there together. So we have the church gathered together about 120 people, on the day of Pentecost. Verse 2 says, suddenly there was a loud rushing noise. And in verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, we see that this loud rushing wind and the filling of the Spirit, this noise was created, and it drew a crowd. And the crowd comes together, and they see these people, these 120 people, and they're speaking in foreign languages, some of their own languages. And the people, it says, in verse 7, were amazed and astonished. They were perplexed as well. They said, what's going on? A debate arises. Some of them say, oh, I think they're drunk. Peter stands up in verse 14. And Peter explains to them what's happened. He goes on to explain the gospel message that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And he calls them to repent and to believe. And on that day, in verse 41, 3,000 hear the word, repent, believe, are baptized, and begin the church. So we have here the very beginning of the church, from the 120 to now some 3,120. And guess what? They didn't have a precedent for what church should be like. They didn't have a book of church order. They didn't have a manual. They didn't even have the New Testament. What they had was God directing them for a model, toward a model for the church that gives him glory. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Unfortunately, this model that we have in the church, for the church, in the Bible, so often today, 
is run amok. Unfortunately, we have so many churches in contemporary America who desire a stage production versus what the Bible teaches church should be. And we have pastors and worship leaders who want to be entertainers instead of humble servants and shepherds. So many churches have become nothing more than an entertainment center, trying to draw people in. And then when they come, they don't know how to minister to them according to the word of God. I don't think ever in history has the church tried so hard to be relevant to the culture and become less relevant to the word of God and to eternity than today. The purpose of too many evangelistic churches is drawn towards bringing people in, that that's their main goal. Instead of their goal being to give glory to God, their goal is in numbers, assuming that that growth, however it's achieved, is glorifying to God. They try to make people feel good about themselves instead of preaching the word of God. God never intended the church to be like that. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You see, Jesus says, I will build my church. He's doing the addition. He's the builder. We need to follow his plan and stop working our own means to give focus on the glory of God as opposed to the glory in numbers in churches. That plan's laid out here in Acts chapter 2. Look through the passage we just read. We see the church devoting themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We see the people who are in awe. We see that there are signs and wonders performed. We see them devoted to sharing with and caring for one another. They were of one mind, praising God, and he added to their numbers. See, all too often churches get it completely backwards. They start at verse 47. They start with the goal of adding instead of the goal of glorifying. And they concern themselves with things like signs and coffee and chairs and bulletins, and check-in processes, all in hopes of drawing numbers. They focus on guest speakers, and concerts, and entertainment, and messages that tickle the ears, instead of glorifying God. That's not what God intended. Acts 2.42 tells us the blueprint for a glorifying, worshiping church. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Those are the vital elements that make up a church to the glory of God. So let's dig into this. Let's look at verse 41. Verse 41 says, Those who had received his, Peter's, word, they were baptized, and they were continually, verse 42, devoting themselves. You see, a church built to the glory of God, starts with what? Believers. It starts with believers. The church of Jerusalem was filled with 
true Christians. If the church is to be built God's way, to God's glory, it will be made up of redeemed people filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The New Testament teaches that the church is for believers, to those who God's Holy Spirit has given new birth and who are joined together in a covenanted community. Now, if we continue to read in Acts, we'd see throughout Acts the church referred to as believers. If we looked at the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, he starts so many of those letters to the saints, to the believers, to those who have committed themselves to Christ. You see, the church is a body of people who profess and give evidence that they are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to his glory alone. Now, does that surprise you? Maybe I should ask, does that mean we shouldn't invite people into our church? We shouldn't allow visitors, or we should have some type of test to make sure we have believers sitting in the chairs? No. No, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't misunderstand. We are to be inviting. We are to be loving. We are to be compassionate. We want people to come and to see. But to see what? Entertainment? No. We want them to come and see us worship. They, we want them to come and see us ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, where we proclaim Jesus, where we proclaim the scripture, where we give them a visible perspective of what it means to be a Christian by living lives that give glory to God. And then God will add to the number. So we have a church to the glory of God that's made up of believers. You can't ascribe to God the glory due his name. You can't truly worship him if you don't know him, if you're not saved. So it starts with believers. Let's look at verse 42. These believers, what were they doing? They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. You can't possibly ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name to worship him if you don't know him. And the way to know him is through his word. He reveals himself to us through his word. These early believers, they didn't have the New Testament. What did they have? They had the apostles' teaching. Some versions use the word doctrine in place of teaching. And that word, many of you kind of cringe at. Ooh, doctrine, that's heavy stuff. I really, I don't want to spend my time there. Teaching, doctrine are synonymous here. The apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine are synonymous words. And we need to be focused on teaching, on doctrine. That's the basis of the church. You can't live out what you don't understand. And the way to understand it is to study, to study to be approved. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 4, Paul instructs Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, 
reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. They'll turn their ears away from the truth. And unfortunately, that's happening all the time. People want to have their ears tickled. They want to go places where they feel good. In some churches, the desire is to stir the emotions. And you have songs sung to stir your emotion. Songs sung about me and how I feel instead of about him and who he is. Messages preached to twist and turn your emotions for a response. You know, we see that all the time. Love built on emotions only fades and fails. We see it all the time in relationships. So what does God say we should do? What does the Bible say we should do? It says that we should know God with our mind. With our mind. Let me give you some examples. Hosea 4.6 My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Romans 12.2 You know this verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And 1 Timothy 4.6, You will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, consistently nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. See, doctrine, teaching, it's the basis for everything. That's why we preach and teach the word of God. And you should be absorbed in the teaching, the study of the word of God. You don't need to be entertained. You don't need to be cajoled. You don't need your emotions stirred. What you need is to be taught the word of God. And the spirit of God in your willing mind will activate that teaching into a dynamic living for his glory. There's a good book. Uh, by Mark Deaver called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. I'd recommend it to you. Here's a few quotes that I pulled from my reading of that book. The first mark of a healthy church is expository preaching. The main role of any pastor is expository preaching. The preacher opens the word and unfolds it for the people of God. A preacher should have his mind increasingly shaped by Scripture. He shouldn't just use Scripture as an excuse for what he already knows or what he wants to say. A healthy church is a church that hears the Word of God and continues to hear the Word of God. And such a church is composed of individual Christians who hear the Word of God and continue to hear the Word of God, always being refashioned and reshaped by it, constantly being washed by the word and sanctified by God's truth. That's church to the glory of God, made up of believers, devoted to teaching. And what's next? In verse 42, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now the word fellowship means spiritual togetherness. The fellowship of the body is the interaction of the believers with one another using the spiritual gifts 
that God has given for ministry. This word fellowship comes from the same word as partner. Last week, we looked at Colossians chapter 2, and we read there that we are being knitted together in love, that we are one body, composed of various parts, but one body, partnered together. So that when I say or think that I want to move my finger, my brain partners with my nervous system, my nervous system partners with my muscles, my muscles partner with my tendons, my tendons partner with the bone, and the finger moves. And that finger is covered with skin that's fed by oxygen through blood that travels through the veins, that's pumped through the heart. And we could go on and on about how the parts of the body all have to partner together for us to function. That's the vision of the body. That's the vision of this partnership in fellowship. The people here in Acts 2 were experiencing oneness. They were living together and sharing with each other. Look at verses 44, 45, and 46. They had things in common. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart. You see, they were one group, a beautiful kind of fellowship, the kind of fellowship that we read about two weeks ago in Colossians 3 that says in verses 12 through 17, full of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another as a body where the word of Christ dwells within us with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. Unfortunately, there's so many that don't fully participate in the fellowship of the body. Some of you here may be too busy to be involved outside of Sunday. That's wrong. It's biblically wrong. The fellowship of believers is central to a church and to believers that glorify God. If your Christianity amounts to coming in and slipping out on Sundays, and that's the extent of your fellowship, you're disobedient. You're disobedient. Don't let the distractions of this world, don't let your busyness, don't let entertainment of other sorts detract from you participating in what God has designed for us in fellowship with one another, a church together, ministering to one another, and utilizing our spiritual gifts. So the church, to the glory of God, is made up of believers devoted to teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. A central focus in the early church's fellowship was the breaking of bread, was communion. It was the most fitting symbol of their fellowship together because it reminded them of their unity, the fact that they had salvation in Christ, that they shared salvation in Christ. You see, we eat and we drink in remembrance of Christ's self-sacrificing love that took him to the cross. 
It's a time. The breaking of bread is a time of examining ourselves. It's a time for forgiveness of sin, for repentance. It's also a time of unity for the body to celebrate what God has done in his love for us through Christ to his glory. So a church, to the glory of God, is made up of believers devoted to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and in verse 42, and to prayer. Acts 2.42 tells us that the believers were continually devoted to prayer. They were mindful of what Jesus had told them in John 14.14, which says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. They believed it, and they prayed that way, and they saw amazing results because of their faithfulness to prayer. And boy, we fail. We fail at this. We are bad at this. We do not pray like we should. And I'm not just talking about individually. I'm talking specifically about corporate prayer. We don't pray like we should. You know, we have a prayer meeting every Sunday before the service. And it's not for the people on the stage. Few come. We can pack out the chairs on a Sunday morning, but if we decide, hey, on Wednesday, we're going to pray together, people don't come. We are not committed to prayer like we should. In life groups, we're studying the book of James. James 5.16 is one of my favorite verses. It says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. James could write those words because he was part of this group of believers who were devoted to prayer, and he saw the results of those prayers. He saw 3,000 people added in one day. He saw signs and wonders. He saw the Lord working through that group of believers in amazing ways that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write those words. John MacArthur says, Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. The, te- the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence, God's omnipotence. Shouldn't we as a body want to pray and devote ourselves to prayer collectively to see amazing things happen? Are you convinced that amazing things would happen if we committed ourselves to prayer? The Bible says they will. We need to do a better job here. And as a leader of this church, I, in preparing for this, am convicted that we don't provide enough opportunity to come together in corporate prayer. We need to do it in our life groups. We need to do it as a body. Amazing things will happen. In fact, what happens here in Acts 2 when the believers gather together to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, to worship him, and they devote themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. We see it in verse 43. It says, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Now this word awe means reverence. It's reserved for special times when people are struck by 
the wonder that comes with divine and powerful things happening beyond our human understanding. Now, later in the verse, it says that the, there were signs and wonders performed by the apostles. The people were not in awe of the signs and wonders. They were in awe because they were glorifying God through their devotion to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. That led them to awe, awesome worship. And oh, by the way, the apostles were doing signs and wonders. Now, we don't have apostles doing signs and wonders today, but God still does miracles, both physical and spiritual. There's probably no better miracle that God performs than when he takes someone who is dead in their sins and puts life into them, and they are made alive, and they're transformed. They become a new creation that Lance read in 2 Corinthians. They are renewed by their mind. All things have become new. What a wonderful testimony to the world that is. When they see people gathered together to the glory of God, to worship him, and they see lives transformed. The early church was full of love and generosity. They began selling and sharing as people would have need. It's that kind of sacrificial love that's the result of the Lord's work in obedient believers who seek to give him glory. The church in verse 46 was filled with gladness. In verse 47, they were filled with praise. And lastly, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's true evangelism, when the Lord is adding to the number. And as I just said, what a beautiful testimony it is when as a body of believers, we devote ourselves to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, and we demonstrate worship and others see what it looks like to be a Christian what it looks like to give glory to God. And he uses that to add to his numbers. A church is made up of believers devoted to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer for his glory. So I have a few questions. Don't have to raise your hands. Are you saved? Do you know what it is to be a believer? You can't possibly ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name if you don't know him. And to know him, you need to repent and believe. And if you don't, and if you'd like to, come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a believer. If you are a believer, are you committed to the teaching of the word? Are you committed to studying Are you absorbed in the fellowship of the body? Are you exercising your spiritual gifts through that body? Will you commit yourself to pray? Not just individually, but collectively. Pray. And lastly, do you see that the church is called to be and to give 
glory to God. That we are to be dedicated to ascribing to the Lord the glory due his name and to worship him.